Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 11. Today, Emily Myers of The Freckled Fox will share her story of grief, of being a mother of five, and in sharing her life, the good, the bad, and the ugly on the internet. We'll tackle the taboo subject that so many of us deal with and struggle with, and hopefully shine a light on a dark thing that happens in life. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast with Jenna Kutcher, the live workshop-style business podcast for creative girl bosses. So you can train from the experts how to dig in, do the work, and tackle your goals along the way. Here's your host, photographer, educator, artist, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. This episode of The Gold Digger Podcast is sponsored by HoneyBook. HoneyBook is the management software that I use to stay organized, manage invoices, get paid, and give every client an elevated, unforgettable experience. HoneyBook is offering 20% off exclusively for Gold Digger listeners. Just go to honeybook.com slash gold digger to get started and get your life back today. Good morning, Gold Diggers. I am so excited to be speaking with my sweet friend, Emily Myers of The Freckled Fox. Emily is an incredible mother of five based in Idaho, and she's a blogger, and I've been following her for years upon years, but we finally got to talk in real life this morning. So welcome, Emily. Thanks so much, Jen. I'm so happy to be here. We're so excited. And we're going to hit some pretty deep stuff today as we go through this conversation. But it's something that Emily and I just both feel passionate that it needs to just be addressed and put out there because everyone in their lives is going to experience grief. And Emily is going to share her story. And we might cry a few times along the way, but it's a subject that I just think needs to be tackled, especially in the creative industry. And I'm just excited to hopefully fill in some blanks today. So Emily, tell everyone your story, however you want to. The floor is yours and we're just really excited to have you. Just, you want just kind of like the Cliff Notes version for starters? Sure, sure. Um, Well, I, let's see. I met my husband, Martin. We were married for like seven and a half years, I think about. And we started having babies really fast and we had a kind of simple, fun life. I started my blog and it kind of took off just sharing things that I loved and little things I was working on, you know, not really giving advice so much as like, here's what I'm working on. Let's work on it together. Just because I wanted to try and, and uplift people and inspire people to just do more and try to be better. And as I was kind of working towards that myself and my husband and I tried to just take on a lot of things and we got into fitness and we decided to do a bodybuilding competition together. And my husband, just before he was about to compete, he found a lump under his arm. And we decided after his competition was over to go get it checked out. And after a few weeks of tests and things, we discovered that he had a stage four melanoma. He was diagnosed in March of last year officially. And it was terminal cancer at the time. And they told us that he had four to six months probably if he was lucky to live the rest of his life. And I was like eight months pregnant at the time with my fifth and we didn't know what to do. And it was like all of a sudden we were thrown into this 
whole new world of doctors and tests and, and so much that I had never really experienced before. Neither had he. And then we decided to jump on immunotherapy after so many prayers and so much help and assistance from other people, so much advice. We just were really, really overwhelmed by everybody wanting to help and by so much information. And we just tried to pray about it and go with our guts. So we went to Mexico for treatment and we, it was just a whole different life and trying to parent the children while taking care of Martin with all of the pain from his Um, you know, his treatments and things. It just, our whole life was different, but we just tried to be as positive as we could. We didn't know how much time we had left, but we were really hopeful that he would be that special case and that we would have a lot of time left. And I guess fast forward to today, we found out early in the spring that he just had a few weeks left, but at this point it had already been 15 months that he had stayed with us. And we had felt really good about what we did been able to do in that amount of time and still didn't want to give up. We still wanted to believe that, that something could happen, that he could, you know, turn around, but he passed away in June. And so now I'm just trying to work through things and trying to kind of re figure out what life is like and who I am you know, without him by my side and what kind of mother I am and what kind of, you know, blogger, I guess. Things are kind of just evolving and changing. And that's kind of the quick version. (laughs) There you go. Oh, well, I have followed Emily for years. And when we started to see, you know, what was going on with Martin from afar on the interwebs, it was just devastating to try to even imagine the gravity of it all. And I mean, I think having dealt with loss and stuff, just trying to imagine like, what would you do if you're only given a few months, but knowing that those months, your health was declining. It's not like, you know, he could do all the things and, you know, just like that, it was, you know, hours and days and visits and money and, you know, trying to make Mm -hmm. the best decisions that you possibly can. And what was it like going through that battle so publicly because of your platform because it's such a blessing and a curse. I truly believe that. And so, you know, you were very careful with what you shared, but you also made people feel like they were a part of his journey and his story. That was a hard balance because I, not only is my blog like a really public thing and I have a lot of followers, mostly followers that I don't know and never will, but because I've been blogging for uh, four to five years now, there are so many people that I still see comment that were among the very first. Like it's, it is very much, I feel like they're kind of part of my family. They have seen more than, you know, my family has, like if they've followed religiously, they've read more of my thoughts and they've seen more of my, you know, photos. And like, I feel like they have, they know us so well. And I feel like they think they know me really well. And so they feel like they're very, very connected emotionally. I think that they are because I try to be open, but I do, I think it is easier to imagine because I know that there are so many of my real life friends and family that follow along just because I can't possibly text or call everybody at once. And so it is a very real way to communicate. If I have some big news, you know, I won't be able to call everyone on my Facebook page, but I will post it on my blog and know that all of my real life friends and family that care about what's going on will see it. You know, when I have a baby birth, most of the time I tell my family and I tell a few close friends and then I share on my blog and everybody else in my community and church and you know, people that care about our family will see it and they understand that it's my online journal more than anything. And just trying to, you know, share again, what I'm working on. It was very intimidating to share that because I, at first I didn't want to, I thought, well, maybe I can just keep blogging and not mention it. I didn't even really know what to do or what to say. Like I didn't even feel comfortable saying the word cancer. Like it took a long time before I could even say that. And I just thought like not on my blog, but in real life, like just saying those words, like it just felt so foreign and it didn't, I was just kind of in shock for a while. It just didn't feel real. We would just kind of look at each other and we just didn't know like what to make of it. And so I didn't feel comfortable saying, well, guess what? My husband has cancer. And that was actually the first post where I shared it was called that because just that word, because I thought this is our life now. We are, you know, this is our demon. 
but I, I thought maybe I could get around it, but I realized that I had just abruptly stopped my blogging and people were like, how are things going? Are things okay? And, mm-hmm. and again, I felt like I owed it to the people that really cared about me and loved me, the relationships that I had built. This was a huge thing. And I knew that ultimately, whether he survived for, you know, six months or six more years or, you know, 10 years, if he was lucky enough, you know, to have it, you know, back off, I thought like this will ultimately, he will not have as long a life as he would have had, you know, being diagnosed with stage four is just really intense. And so I, I just felt like I couldn't carry on blogging the right way, but I had to, because I needed to make the money because Martin was instantly unable to work. I just knew that there was no way I could keep going without talking about this huge, huge, huge deal. There wasn't any way that I could be like, here's another outfit. You know, meanwhile, like Martin is, you know, there was just no way. So I had to open it up if I wanted to keep my blog going. And from that point on, it was just all about that. And everyone is so, so, so much support. I can't even describe like the overwhelming, like my heart just wanted to burst because I felt so like so much love and it was very real hugs, like this big comforter that was just wrapped around me. And we both felt that he shared in the comments and participated in the interaction on the blog. And we were both just so humbled by the love from people, from strangers, you know, it's just an amazing thing to be able to feel that supported and comforted by people that we'd never met and never would. So it was an amazing thing. And I really attribute so much of my positive attitude and the way that I've been able to make it through this to everyone that has supported me. I really, it sounds so sappy to say, but I would not have been able to. There were so many days when I just couldn't do it. I would just lay in bed and my kids were, you know, I just didn't know how I was going to make it through. I just thought, you know, there's no point. Like there's just nothing to get me out of bed today. You know, the kids are jumping on me and I'm just like, what's the big deal? And so I, but I, you know, I would see support from people and they would say, you're, you're so strong. Like you can do this and you're inspiring and the sweetest things. It always, it just helped me time and time and time again. I think too, it's really hard when we hit those real life things when You know, it's so easy to blog and to post the good stuff. It's just so Mm -hmm. easy and it's exciting. And you're like, you know, here's our travel. Here's my kids. Here's this. And I know that, you know, when we went through our miscarriage, I felt this conviction of life isn't always Instagram worthy. And it's not always this beautifully styled and put together thing. And it's such a hard thing to know how to share that and when it's appropriate. But I also feel that a lot of us that share from the heart just feel that conviction of if I'm letting people into the good, they deserve to see the bad too, because I feel like that's where true connection happens with people is when you're like, I can relate or Mm -hmm. I feel what was it like? I mean, considering how young you are, you have five children trying to understand that you were going to be a widow at such a young age and also probably understanding that there really isn't a lot of resources out there for you or not a lot of places you could go for comfort in that. Oh, there aren't. I really did try to like find somebody that I could connect with. I looked online, I did research, I tried to find another blogger who was 25 with five kids whose husband was dying of cancer. I'm like, there's got to be one out there. And I just, I just wanted somebody to tell me how to do it and to tell me how to feel and how to cope and how to get up in the morning and how to, you know, support him in his grief. You know, I can't imagine from his perspective, like looking at his family and to see thinking that he was going to leave them and, you know, not knowing what to do. Like we were very, very close and we communicated about everything. He worked from home and helped me a lot. And we were very much a team. And so I can't imagine, you know, I I mean, just the things from the things he told me, it was just very, very hard for him too. But I just really wanted somebody to tell me, you know, to give me a rule book, an instruction manual on what to do. And there was nothing. And there were very few, I did take some comfort from just people that were at least struggling with cancer or at least young mothers that were, you know, had, you know, I found a lady that's husband had been deployed. She had three children and just hearing some of her thoughts helped a little bit, like just little snippets of things like, okay, that's how I feel. Like I can see those words and I can connect with that, you know, sentence at least. And that helped me to kind of make sense of what I felt. And I honestly didn't think about the words widow, like these, these really taboo things, you know, I didn't think about being a widow, 
for a really long time. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be a widow and I'm going to be, yeah, it was like, I had to just think about it and process it. That was not part of the plan. You know, we had gotten married. I was really young, but I felt very ready and very much in love and very excited for the future. We didn't plan on having five children right away, but it just, the first one felt right. It was an overwhelming, like, I just feel like we're guided and I just knew that it was right. And so I asked Martin one day, I was going to school and I said, what would you say if I told you that I think we want to have a baby? You know, I, I thought I want to have a baby. And he was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that Aww. because he didn't want to, he didn't want to encourage me. He wanted me to go to school if I wanted to and, yeah. and didn't want me to like drop out and have babies. And so we just, I was really glad because I, I, again, I wasn't planning on it, but I didn't want to, I just knew how I felt. And so we started having babies and it just, we just kept kind of following what we felt like we should do. And the first Ellie was just such a perfect, she slept and she ate perfectly. She was like 10 pounds Aww. and she was, she was such a little chunker and she just slept all night and she just ate perfectly and was just happy. And you're like, what's the fuss and, about all this? I know, I was like, oh, I was like, Come on guys. And so we went ahead and, and got pregnant again pretty fast. So Ellie was born in March and Sophie was born the next April and John was born the next May. Like they were just really close. We just kind of kept going and it just, it just felt right. And the kids are wonderful. How has it been navigating your own personal grief while also just trying to be conscious of how your kids are doing? And they're all such different ages, but you're serving such, I mean, two totally hard roles as you know, you, Emily, and as Emily, the mom, how has that process been? Because I can't even imagine trying to explain everything to your kids. You know, it's hard because a lot of the people, you know, explaining, a lot of people have been worried about the children and they say, how are the kids coping? And honestly, Evelyn is one and she turned one after Martin passed away. Lydia was two when he passed. John was just barely four. And then Sophie was five and Ellie's six. And so they're all just so young. And I tried to involve them as much as I could more towards the end. It was very apparent early on, like even last year in the fall, when he his pain was getting so bad, he really had to kind of check out because the kids are active and crazy and they jump on him and they're, they used to you know play with them. He was really an inter interactive dad and he would play with them and, you know, piggyback rides and all the fun things that dads do. And when that slowly started to disappear, they noticed and they wanted to play with him and they wanted to jump on him. And it, would, it just became a constant thing like, Daddy's not feeling well, you know, be careful and, and give him gentle hugs and Daddy just doesn't feel well. And then they just realized that he was never getting better. And Ellie would say, you know, in her prayers, bless Daddy, that he's not sick anymore. And they just thought it was like a flu or something, mm -hmm. but it just went on for months and he couldn't, sometimes he couldn't, you know, come out to the car or he couldn't walk on his own. And, and they just, Ellie started to pick up on it really fast. And then Sophie kind of noticed mostly because Ellie would point it out, but mm -hmm. they just noticed him kind of check out. And so I had to say something after a while, I could see that it was kind of getting at them. And I think I've mentioned it on my blog, but there was one specific time when we said a prayer together and Ellie got up and just ran at him to give him a hug. And he instinctively like just swung out his arm to push her away, like to protect himself because he was the pain in his chest mostly was where the tumors were, was just in his abdomen. And he was really, really sensitive. So she, he kind of knocked her away and she just looked shocked and she started to sob. And she said, I want my daddy back. And, um, so I knew that I had to just, I was trying to hold it off. I thought, I don't need to worry her, you know, and, yeah. and explain things like she's just a little girl. So people, you know, again, people would say, how are they coping with the news? And I'm like, I haven't told them. Are you kidding? Like, people like, why would you explain to your four-year-old about cancer and about his dad leaving? Like, it just doesn't. And we weren't sure either. I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to say, you know, he's going to die when we didn't know. And we were hoping, obviously, that he wouldn't. So I explained to Ellie that it was more than just a flu, that it was something much more serious and that we really needed to take care of him and we needed to love each other and work together and that I needed her help. And mm -hmm. And then eventually, a few months later, I had to explain it to Sophie for kind of the same reasons. And it wasn't until much closer to people at school started to talk about it. I think because I was public, you know, the community, some people are, you know, friends and family that kind of follow along. And so I would come home and say, my friend said that daddy's going to die. And 
And so she would hear things at school. And so I would, I would always talk to her and sit down and make time to explain things out. So she would feel comfortable. And, um, it was just within a few months that things were kind of getting much more serious. And so I did try to prepare her a little bit. And I said, you know, and I brought up death for the first time. I explained to her, not that he was going to die, but I said, you know, sometimes when people get really sick like this, you know, sometimes they go to heaven and, and that's okay. And here's why. And so I just tried to, I just, you know, she was just so little and I, I just was trying to just follow my instinct and I didn't want her to be blindsided, but I also didn't want her to be scared needlessly. Mm-hmm. It was really a sensitive balance. And then from her, you know, I would kind of give a diluted version to Sophie. And I even tried to include John, but he just oh, he just John. went right over his head. <laughs> Sweet boy. Even like the night before, actually, it was the night before Martin passed away. I really felt like he was getting close and we were all just praying and hoping. But, you know, you never stop right until, you know, mm-hmm. until he's gone. But I just thought if he does go, we had a lot of people saying that he was, you know, a lot of doctor friends and stuff that were pretty sure that he was going to leave soon. And, and so I tried to prepare the girls and I talked about heaven and just made them feel comforted again. And then, and like I said, I brought John in and he just laughed and was like, let's go, you know, play Legos. And I'm like, all right, John, it was worth a shot. But so with half of the kids, more than half being completely oblivious, it has made it easier for sure. Because I know that someday soon I'll have to have this talk because there are pictures of Martin and he's very much still a part of our life. And we talk about him often and they will, you know, they, those three probably won't have any memories of him, but they can have the stories that I share and, and the pictures I show and the things that I kind of create in their brains. And, you know, the friends and family that will talk about him and when they're growing up, they can still know who he was and how much he loves them. And I'm really grateful for that. So the older two are the ones that I really pay attention to and that I really try to focus on. That has really helped me too. I've talked about it often, but the kids just have, they've, really just pulled me through everything because I have to. I talked about that in in the funeral post when I shared about Martin's funeral because I just thought today of all days, like they're the reason and they were my only reason for for living to be really dramatic. Once Martin was gone, he took so much of me with him. I wanted to just die too. I just thought this is, you know, like what is the point? But then I had these five little you know, tater tots looking up at me. And I just, I just wanted to just dive into being a mother as much as I could and just try to just block out the grief as much as I could, because I knew that I couldn't balance both immediately. And so I did, um, right after Martin passed, I just started just doing stuff with the kids just solely, especially because they had missed out on so much of me and Martin for the last eight or nine months before he passed away. He was in so much pain constantly that not only was he not able to participate with them, but I wasn't able to interact with them much. Like I wasn't cooking very much food anymore. We were kind of doing more freezer things and I wasn't able to take time and like play with them much. I was mostly just like, here's another movie. Like I have to, you know, take care of dad and I have to give him his shots and cook him his oatmeal. And he just, he needed so much help and care that they really had been kind of minus both parents for a long time. So I really tried to, to turn that around and it helped me, distracted me just enough to help me through the worst of it, I think. That's so, you know, Sorry, I'm I rambling a lot. <laughs> this is amazing. And I think too, one of the hardest things, and we kind of spoke about this earlier before we started, but is when you're a creative entrepreneur, when you're a blogger or you work from home, you don't go back to normal life. Like life isn't normal when you grieve and you can just say, well, I'll publish a post next month or you know, I can stay in bed today. I, you know, there's not Mm -hmm. these, you're not surrounded by people in the flesh and it's very easy to slip into that grief. And that can just feel so, I mean, it can just suck you in. And I think too, for a lot of people, especially if they work a more traditional job and, you know, you kind of go back into that routine and you find that flow again, and yes, it will always be different and it will feel different. But what was that like? I mean, you now find yourself a single mom of five and like you need to work, but Mm -hmm. I'm sure everything just felt so trivial with the gravity of everything that was really happening. Like, how Mm -hmm. did you navigate through that? Yeah. Well, right after 
it was kind of a build up before because people were following along. I think they were kind of giving me grace and saying, it's okay. You know, we don't expect a lot from you, but I was worried about, about my career just in the sense of this is how I'm going to, you know, support my children and pay for all these medical bills. And like, this is, this has to, I have to keep this up enough that I can lean back on this once this is all blown over. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of um, pressure just by myself, not from people, not from followers or readers, but from myself again, for that same reason. So I was trying to be like, I have to post something. But again, it was very hard. I'm a very positive person. I have always tried and I've nurtured this for a long time. But I've always been a glass half full person. I will always find I just have really worked at it. It doesn't come naturally for anybody, for sure. Um, But I've always tried to find, you know, the silver lining. And I've always tried to pass that on to people. And my goal for my blog has always been to uplift and inspire. I've always had that on there. Like, I just want people to leave with a little bit, like a tiny bit of inspiration or a tiny bit of a smile. Like I just want them to be better in some way, some small way by having visited my life on my line, you know, my online life. So I was like, I hated, <laughs> I didn't hate, but I felt very sad about people that would say, I just read your post and I'm just, I've been sobbing. Like, I'm just so sad. And I'm like, that's not what I wanted. Like I appreciated their empathy and their emotional support, but I just felt so down. Like I was pulling people down and I wasn't appreciating the perspective I was giving people. I was mostly just focused on the fact that I was making the world a sadder place. Yeah. And that was a lot of pressure. And I, so I tried to be like, you guys, I really need to post happier things. Like, would that be weird? And so I started being like, okay, like, here's the good things that happened today. And here is why today is so great. And people were like, are you sure that you're doing okay? Like, you can be sad. And I'm like, I know, but just please let me be happy. So I tried to push through that. Posting was hard because, again, when I would get hit with this is kind of around his passing too. I really had to just stop mostly just enough to give updates for again, friends and family, mostly that were really following along. That was the best way to communicate with a bunch of people at once. So I would give updates mostly is what it turned into about what was going on and how he was. And I would share little pictures that I'd taken on my phone and things. I tried to be private about some things too. I tried to keep some things to myself. I just tried to go with my gut. Um, But you're right. When you're all alone at home in your pajamas and nobody, you know, nobody will miss you if you don't post. It's so easy to just say, I can't do it today. I can't open up, you know, I can't like pull open my chest and open up more of my heart and dump it on the Internet for anybody to read. Like, it's just a vulnerability that I was getting less and less. I was getting more and more private especially when, you know, I was getting little bits of scrutiny here and there. Like you just, you don't want to share personal, private, special things. And I just thought every little bit of time left is so precious that I just didn't want to open that up to unknown people. And I started getting more and more vulnerable in my, the way that I felt. And I just felt open, like too open. And so I tried to pull back, but then it would turn into a week and two weeks and three weeks. And I'm like, how did this much time go by? So then I would try to jump on and post something else. And then more time would fly by until I felt ready again. And everyone was very understanding, but it has continued to be hard, especially now that I really depend on my blog and my site for, you know, for our income. That's my main source of income. If I wouldn't got a job, you know, my, my kids would, I wouldn't be able to be at home with them. And our life would be very different. So I feel very, very lucky that I put the time and effort into this. Now it's just become very much a journal that I don't share, you know, here's my outfits and here's my favorite, you know, purses. And I mean, you know, just stuff like that. Like, it's just all about what's in my heart and what I'm feeling and how things are going. Um, People are very interested and very sweet and supportive. So I feel good about that. But I also feel like I need to kind of gather my thoughts for quite a while before I can form them into something because there's just so much going on. And again, I'm determined to not be like a total drama queen. I just, I kind of want to wrap things up in a positive way. And so unless I'm in a good mood, I don't write (laughs) because I'm like, I'll just open up this really tragic scenario and make everyone feel sad. They'll all finish the post and be sad. And it's tough. Sorry. No, um, well, I think it is a, a struggle. A lot of people just have opinions And Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard. Even when we went through our miscarriage, I knew for two weeks before we even had to go in for surgery that we had lost the baby. So Mm -hmm. I had these two weeks that I was grieving privately alone with Drew, with my family, before we even shared it. And Mm -hmm. I don't even think we shared it immediately. But 
then it was like I had had that really dark, hard time and I was ready where I was like, I am like you, I'm positive and I want to bring light and I needed to figure out like, well, how, how do I do this? How do I share this? And then how do I continue to bring positivity and light? And people will look and say, well, like, are you over it? Like what's going on? Like, I don't understand. And it's like, no, I was in this place privately for a very, you know, not a very long time, but for a time. And it feels, I can't it feels so long. There. Yeah. And I can't yeah. live in that space because that's a really dangerous place to be. Mm-hmm. And I know even with my mom, like I would call her and she would be like, Oh, Jen, how are you? And I was like, I can't meet you there right now because if I go back to that spot, I'm not going to get out of it for the rest of today. Like mm-hmm. I have to come from a yes. place of like, this is happening or it's happened and I'm never going to be the same from it, but I also need to figure out how to navigate what the new normal is, what, what that looks like. And so it was really hard too, because it was like, you know, how much do you share and how much do you put out there knowing that what you're sharing can help people, but it also could hurt certain people that maybe haven't processed their grief or haven't, um, it's a lot of pressure. It is. And it's like you, I think my biggest takeaway, even in that short journey was that I just needed, just like you said, to trust my gut and share the things that I knew or thought could help people Mm -hmm. while also protecting myself and my relationship and what that looks like. Because again, Drew didn't sign up to have his life on a blog. Drew didn't sign up to walk in the grocery store and have people recognize him as my husband. And so it's, I just, it's such a delicate thing. And I feel like, like you said, there are no handbooks. There is no written story that's like, well, this is what you do on this day and this is how you handle it. And every day, I mean, I feel like whenever I think about grief, I just feel like it comes in waves and some days you can stand in them and acknowledge them. And some days they can just suck you in and you feel like you're drowning. I mean, do you relate? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's exactly, that's a really, really good analogy because it's definitely, yeah. Like you're just standing there and you know, things are kind of like, but it's like, you're again, going on that analogy. Like you're always in the water, like Mm -hmm. from that moment on, you're never over it. And people will think that they'll say, how are you doing? You look great. And I'm like, I'm okay. You know, I'm doing mm-hmm. fine. And you are, but underneath you are never, ever the same. You never, ever get over the loss of a baby. You know, you'll never forget that experience. It's changed you forever and you never get over you know, the loss of a husband. You know, grief stays with you forever. You know, your best friend dies or, you know, your father likes anyone who you loved that leaves will make an impact. There's just no way around that. And it will never be okay. I mean, it will never, it will never hurt less. Like you, I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but you, you know, like people say, Oh, it'll get better. Like this will go away soon. And it doesn't go away. You don't like, I've thought about it and I'm like, I won't miss Martin any less in the future than I do now. In fact, it might be more, you know, because Mm -hmm. I'm farther away from those memories. Like I'm farther away from the life we had together. Like you will miss that more and you'll see more of the impact it's made on you and you'll treasure that lesson, but it will never, ever leave you. It's, it's a permanent mark. I wrote a post about that, about kind of like, you know, those Japanese, that pottery where they, they mend the pottery with the gold resin. Yes. Have you seen those? Yes. And I just was so inspired by that because, you know, with every crack that's repaired, it's just made beautiful. And every, you know, I, like the things that I can take from this, I feel so broken, but at the same time, I feel so strong. And it's, it's like, you're really faced with this opportunity to sink or swim. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you just have to just let go and hold your breath and just fall and just let yourself go. But you're right. People kind of open it back up for you. And I'm like, dang it, I was doing really good today. You know, I was, Mm -hmm. I was being really productive and they're like, how are you? And they start to cry. Like in the grocery store, they just surprise you. And I'm like, dang it. Now the rest of the day is gone because I was, you know, you try to kind of put it back to a place where it's manageable and it's hard to balance you know, between letting yourself just go. It's funny, but I would like schedule, maybe you did this too. I would just schedule times when I'm like, okay, the kids are asleep. I'm going to turn on, you know, our favorite song and I'm going to look at pictures and I'm just going to let myself just fall and just sink because I knew that that was not something that I could get around. I knew I had to address that, that I couldn't just push it away or otherwise it would just erupt when I wasn't able to, like I, there was one time in Target where it was something silly. It was like a, 
I don't remember some DVD or something like something triggered a memory, which it kind of knocked over my house of cards mm-hmm. of memories and, you know, sadness and happiness. And just, I was so overwrought. So suddenly I just, I just kind of sat down and tucked into myself in the middle of the aisle and the kids were there with me. And I don't know how long we stayed there for, but I just couldn't, I couldn't stand and I couldn't cope and I couldn't function. And it was just in the middle of the store. And I just thought, I can't let this happen. You know, just all the time. I can't, I just can't, you know, you can't, I'm sorry. No. You have to, I, I knew I had to have better control over it just because of the kids. Like I couldn't be, uh, I couldn't be driving and have that happen and risk mm-hmm. an accident. You know, I had to, because I was the only thing that they had. I had to have a better handle on it. And so I did schedule times every day when I would, when I could kind of sneak away and have a private, private little session of my own with my feelings and thoughts kind of pulled out on the table. And sometimes the kids would be there and I would just, they saw and they still do. And Ellie's has gotten better at comforting me. She's so observant. Um, Sometimes I'll just be chopping carrots and she'll be coloring and, and I won't realize that I just have tears you know, coming down my face and Ellie will come up and she'll wrap her arm around me and say something sweet and comforting. She's wonderful that way. She's really observant. I think too, one of the hardest things, especially when you publicly share some of this stuff is people don't know what to say. And, you know, we experienced that as well is where, you know, we did choose to put it out there and we did feel confident in that decision. And, you know, it was actually something the day we found out we were pregnant, I told Drew, if we miscarry, we're sharing it because we had seen so many people silently struggle through it and not acknowledge it. And we didn't know as a friend how to support them. But along with that then comes like people just don't know how to address you. They don't know whether they should try to ignore the fact or, you know, be sad or be happy or whatever. And I think that with grief, it's like, you just have to give, you know, just be with somebody, meet them where they're at, not where you feel comfortable. Um, and I think that's like one of the hardest things we've learned and it's, you know, people want to make things better and there's just days that nothing will make it better. And so if, I would rather sit in silence with somebody and just know that they're there than to have them try to say things that would make you feel better. Yes. You know, that's very true. I think a hug was always good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A hug hug was always appropriate. But yeah, words just, sometimes they would have the opposite effect. I was never like, I would never turn down people's comfort and, you know, little bits of trying to, you know, address things. I appreciated the thought. Mm-hmm. And I, so even when it was almost kind of insulting, I would be like, thank you. And I would just <laughs> give them a hug. And, you know, when they'd say, oh, you're, you know, you look great. Like you must be having a really great day. And I'm like, mm-hmm. like, you're so nice. Thank you. So I just, I wouldn't ever try to play the victim and be like, oh, I just can't talk to you right now. And I would just always accept people's because it was a gesture mm-hmm. and it was, it was a gesture of love. And I just would ignore anything that they had to say and just accept the love that they were offering. But yes, a, a hug was always great. And just being close to someone helped because you do, it's just overwhelming loneliness, but it ultimately grief is just a walk alone. Like I said earlier, even when I found widows that were dealing with their husbands with cancer, like even the closest I could come to it was just not close enough. Nobody, I just felt so alone. Like nobody understands what I'm feeling and what I've dealt with and being pregnant, you know, pushing my husband in a wheelchair at nine months pregnant through the Mexican border with bags and, you know, trying to get him to treatment with all of my children at home. And I spent mother's day alone in the hospital room while my husband was in surgery and my kids were all gone. And I was, my baby was bouncing in my belly. And I just thought like, this is not how life was supposed to be. You know, I'm supposed to be home with my kids eating breakfast in bed. Like we had this whole future planned out and it wasn't just one person, like one moment in time that I lost. Like it wasn't just Martin's gone this day and, Mm -hmm. and he's not there in the future. Like our whole future is gone. So you lose his entire you know, every aspect of his life and his future and my future, because we were bound together and the kids future that they won't have, you know, Martin as their father. And it's just so much loss all at once. It's so much. And you, I started to experience that loss so early on because the first day that we heard his diagnosis, 
you know, the doctor said stage four, you know, you don't start. That's that's the end of it. Yeah. That's, that's terminal cancer. And so immediately he left the room and Martin said, we need to get you out of that house. You know, you're in a, we're in a dangerous neighborhood. We have to move out. Like we have to start looking for a new house. And I was like, okay. And he's like, and we have to get that car, you know, so we can fit all the kids. And, and what about, you know, is your blood going to be enough? And what about, you know, medical bills? Like we're going to have to have a lot of medical bills. And, and it was immediately we started talking about, and, you know, then he started talking about me. He said, you know, you'll probably get married again after I die. And I was like, stop it. Don't, you know, don't talk that way. Like, don't even think that way. And he was like, I don't know, but, you know, I just hope it's just somebody who's going to take care of the kids. And like, he just immediately started too. And we both, it just changed everything so fast. But then after a few months of that, again, when the baby was born, I've said before, but it was like the ultimate reset button. Mm -hmm. And it was a big change for us because we were able to change perspective and we realized that our family would be forever and that even if we got separated that like we're connected and all that matters is right in the now and this is kind of changing the topic a little bit but people asked about our bucket list you know like what kind of things did you guys do you know like when you found out he was dying and funnily enough like the bucket list is just total crap because when you, when somebody's actually dying, like you, nothing else, like there was no trip I wanted to take. There was no food I wanted to try. There was no activity, like nothing else mattered, but sitting next to him and holding his hand and having our family together. Like there was like everything else just faded away. And, and uh, even if he was healthy enough to travel, there wasn't anything I would have wanted to do or any money or any you know, I didn't want to visit any place. It just, it was all about being together and that's all that matters. And, and then you, people say that, and but it's just so true. That's all you care about. It's just time spent together. Right. But we did realize, like you said, that you can't once, you know, his four to six months passed and then seven months and eight months, like you can't live in this grief spot every day or you sink lower and lower. And it's not a functioning place for our, our minds, like not as entrepreneurs, not as self-employed people, not, you know, there's no time clock we can punch and some routine we can fill out. Like we have to hustle every day. And we, and we had to, we were going to be happy. I was like, screw this. Like, we're not going to spend the rest of our life together being sad about what we won't have. Like we're going to take advantage of this time and just be together. And we're going to just do what we, you know, whatever we want. And people were confused at how happy we were and how smiling we were. But I was just like, we can't sit at home looking at each other and crying all day, every day for, for months and for a year and almost a year and a half that we spent. I think that's the end of that thought, just that you can't, you can't you just, be there. You can't, you can't live there every day. There. You have to find a balance. It doesn't mean that you're over it, but, yeah. but you have to, you have to move forward. Well, and we really experienced this too. The best man of our wedding passed away in a car accident and he was married and just watching our friend navigate this new life. And we call it, she calls it chapter two. And I really love that because it's not the end of her story and it's not the story she would have written herself, not in the least, but you know, it's like right when it all hits the fan, you know, people Mm -hmm. are there, food is there, gifts, all this stuff. And you are just in this fog. I mean, it reminds me of a wedding day where it's like the wedding day is done and you're like, was I even there? Did I float through that day? Like, where did that, where did that time go? Yeah. And I feel like it's those months after and the years after and the holidays and the birthdays and your anniversary. And it's really taught me to just be aware and to, I mean, I will like lay and memorize Drew's face every single morning. Like, I'm like, you just, nothing is promised, you know? It's crazy. Makes me want to cry. I love to hear that because that was a, that was the biggest thing that I was trying to pass on to people because as every day would pass and I knew that we were getting closer, I just wanted to like shake people and slap them in the Mm -hmm. face and be like, stop fighting about stupid stuff with your spouse like go hold on to them and just be glad that they're there and like I got on Facebook right after right after we got the news and I I got home and I told a few people and I tried to like sit in the room and just be quiet and just think about it and I made another phone call and then I just looked up some stuff and then I sat quietly again and we kind of split up to kind of process for that day by ourselves and I just, I don't think it was that day, but it was shortly after I got on Facebook and I remember feeling like angry 
because I got on and people were trivial, trivial, trivial. Stuff. Yeah. Somebody was posting a picture. There was like some stupid food recipe being made and somebody else had posted a picture of like their new car and someone had shared, you know, like their night out or, you know, like I'm, I hate my internet. Like I, this is such stupid internet. And I'm like, what the freak does internet matter? Like I just remember being so angry and I got so mad because I'm like, my world is completely falling to pieces and you guys are just living on your life. Like, how are you guys coping? How are you just being happy? And I was mad because I was like, I never get to be happy again. Like my life is completely over and you guys are just, and it was, it was frustrating. I think just watching everyone be happy. I just was, I just wanted my life back. I just wanted my happiness back. And I knew that I would never be that innocent little wife again. Like I just knew that suddenly, suddenly I was, I was like, I felt like I had aged 30 years. Like I just felt like I was on this whole new plane with people and that my innocence was gone. I'm being really dramatic, but I just, I wanted back that sweet little fairy tale life that I had had. I just was kind of frozen in time and I was watching my life like a movie. Like really, it was just, it just felt like PSA love you. I'm like, this is stupid. Like this doesn't happen in real life. And it takes so long to accept. Like you said, everything's kind of foggy and people around you don't know what to do. Like the chattiest friends that I have were suddenly just silent Mm -hmm. and they would kind of back up slowly and no one knew how to address it and how to address me. And, but you know, I felt comfortable that I was sharing enough when people started sharing those thoughts. They started saying, I, you know, went home and I was so angry because my husband hadn't cleaned the house and and I yelled at him for a while. And then I read your post and I went back and, you know, realized how lucky I am that he's here. And, you know, and I was grateful for him. And I realized that people were starting to kind of get perspective and they were starting to change a little bit. And, you know, it got even more incredible when I started having people go get checked for cancer because of Martin, because of how young he was. And people started finding it and people started getting treatment. And then over time, like I just, I started the last few months, people started telling me that they were improving or cancer free because of, because of the treatment that they had taken people's lives that had been saved and changed because of what I'd shared. And so I can't have any regret about that, about what I put out there when It's changed. A mother just told me she discovered that she had cancer because she went and got checked and they started treatment and she's cancer free now. She had six kids and she, they're celebrating and, and so happy and I'm so glad for them. But that's just a big, you know, even if there was one story like that, it would be worth it. Mm -hmm. But, but it's just, it's grown so much and I just can't. Those stories um, aren't going to stop coming either. I feel like people, you know, just like you were trying to seek out answers or hope, or even just to see, you know, like, how is this going to go? How is this going to look? What is next for me? And I feel like your posts and what you shared, the legacy of that, I mean, it's your story. It's something your kids could eventually look back on and just see how much love you guys shared and how it all happened because they're so young now. And I truly that it just brings me back to social media is not just a highlight reel. I truly do not believe that. And I don't think it was meant to be that. And Mm -hmm. I think that when we can look back and even scroll and say, this is actually what my life was. And it's not all of the moments and it's not all of those private things, but this Mm -hmm. was it. This was where I was. This is what my heart was feeling in this moment. And I can stand behind that and say that this is it. This is true. I think that social media is our legacy. It is, you, like you said, your blog is your online journal. It's, it's not just a place to share, you know, new hairstyles or outfits or whatever. And all that stuff is mm-hmm. wonderful and great. But you are going to be so grateful. Your children are going to be so grateful to have this stuff to look back on. Because even on those days where you were like, I don't even know how I could form a sentence. Or mm-hmm. I don't know how I could vocalize what is actually happening you know, one of my biggest things now is I wish I would have written more when we were going through the process of having our miscarriage, because at the time I felt like I was going to be stuck there forever. I felt like this is it. This is how I'm going to feel for the rest of my life. And it is true. It never goes away, but you just adjust and it's a new normal. You You, you find a new rhythm. Uh Yes. And so it's, I tell people now when they're going through it, I said, write down how you feel right now. 
write down, you know, the anger or the thoughts or the stress or the worry or whatever it is, because you feel Mm -hmm. like this is it. You feel like this is your life now and Mm -hmm. it isn't going to get easier, but you're going to adjust because we are resilient humans. And so I just, I think that you probably don't even realize the gravity of what you've done in sharing this, but also just in bringing the conversation to the table and saying that, you know, life, life continues and you have options. You can choose to stay stuck in that dark, deep place, or you can choose to wake up and just say, I'm going to do my best today. Whether that looks like crying in the target aisle or in just trying to adjust to that new normal. And Mm -hmm. I think that one of the biggest things about grief is that you can just never judge where somebody is at in it. And you never know Mm -hmm. where somebody is at in it. I don't even, you know, I'm, we're all still processing things that have happened to us and are going to happen to us. And I just think, you know, what a beautiful thing to bring to the table and what a tribute to Martin and his life. Um, It is. It's it's his legacy. It's, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing that he's been able to continue, you know, helping people and changing lives, you know, even after he left. I saw a quote once that I've clung to and life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Mm -hmm. And I love that because because we do like, we expect that, Oh, this is just a bad moment. Like people say, this is going to be over soon. And, you know, you do get through those hard times and you come out of it. But you know, again, it's like, you just have to, you have to learn that. Yes. Our hearts are fragile and yes, you know, like time is short, but you know, you just have to like, there's just this, this level of expectation and hope that you have to live with every day because there's no, you know, otherwise you just, you just go lower and lower and that's just no way to live. Like you have to push forward. And it's been surprising for some people to see how fast I've been able to kind of keep going on with things. And and I went on a trip just a couple weeks after Martin passed away. I went out with some friends on kind of a sponsored trip and it was a really wonderful thing to kind of get away from the kids a little bit and to step away from my home where all the pain was, you know, Martin was put on hospice care. He was life flighted back from the hospital in Houston when they gave us a few weeks left. And he spent the last of that in a hospice bed in our living room. And, and so our home became kind of a place to just take care of him and people would come to visit and give flowers and treats. And so that was a really, and it was the home that we had worked on together and everything in it was stuff that was memories. It was you know, a, a cookbook he had given me for a wedding present and a couch that we had ordered together online, you know, after much back and forth, you know, about <laughs> colors and things like everything in our home was, was attached to that happier time of our life. And it was felt really good to get away. And, you know, if I had to go back and give recommendations to people, I would love to be that resource online that I couldn't find. I would love to have, you know, because this happens so many places and I've had so many people come to me now, young widows. I'm heartbroken because there's so many more than I even kind of pictured people that come and say, you know, thank you. Like my husband just died in a car accident and I I was just, I, you know, I'm just lost and I don't know what to do, but I see that you're happy and I see you smiling and I think that there's hope. And, and I've actually given out my number to an embarrassing amount of people. And I'm like, please call me. <laughs> like just the fact that you said that, like, I just want to talk to you yep. and I don't have it all together, but I have, I have the kids that have anchored me and, and I am doing well. And, you know, I actually have remarried my high school sweetheart and things are different for us now in its own way, it's not better, but in some ways it is. And being able to have someone that understands I have so much grief left and that my heart is so broken. But in the moment when Martin took so much of me with him and so much of what we had created together and I was really lost, I had kind of like a loss of identity, um, finding somebody that knew me so well, that had cared so much about me, was an amazing thing. I think it was, I think it's such a blessing. And I know that our life is very unique and it's not typical, but having somebody who understands and supports in the children and me being so damaged, it's, it's sad to say that, but we have so much more sorrow and, and hardship in our life. I think than a, a little family like ours typically does. And I think it's wonderful that we're able to have some hope. Well, and we, we saw that exactly with our friend and she's getting married again. And I just think that 
the real people in your life that see your happiness and understand the depths of your sadness and know that they can, they're not mutually exclusive. They can live in the same space. Oh, yeah. And to appreciate that and to support that, like that is where the real people come out of the woodwork for you and rally for you because no true friend would want to see you stuck in that sadness, in that mutually exclusive darkness. And, you know, we've talked about this, but there are so many opinions on grief and how long it should take and how long you should wait and how it should all happen again. And every story is different. And I think that one of the things I love about this space in the podcast is to show people that everyone's path looks different. Everyone's journey looks different. And yet we're all still here and we all still have an opportunity to serve the world. And we all still have an opportunity to choose joy and there are going to be days that we don't want to, and there are going to be times that it feels impossible. But the fact that we have a voice and that we can choose to use that, like that is where the real power lies, I think. Yeah, so yeah for sure. I, I feel, thank you. I feel like it's been such an interesting thing. I told you it's, it's kind of like a balance between like, I feel every day. I feel like the weakest that I've ever felt. Like I feel like in some, to be, again, to be dramatic, like I, you feel such a very real heartbreak. Like it, it's so literal. It's just like this crushing, like, oh, it's just such a heavy, heavy crushing weight. You're just, the wind is knocked out of you and you go dizzy and you're just like this. It's the most incredible, like sadness. You can't breathe and you can't, oh man, it's so hard to even think about. But since then I, I've gone through so much mentally and I've under, I've really come to understand how fragile we are, the human spirit, how vulnerable we are, and also how strong we can be. And I feel like, like I also at the same time am, am stronger than I've ever been. And I feel like if this is, you know, like this is the worst that I could handle, you know, I've seen a lot of loss from people. I've seen a lot of things I've seen a lot of struggles from family and friends. I have two siblings that have passed away. I I can't imagine losing a child, but having the impact of losing my husband was just so, like I said, he was everything to our family. And I didn't know who I was without him. And I didn't know how I could have five children and raise them successfully and happily by myself. And I expected to for a long time because I didn't imagine having anyone that would be able to accept Mm. that we were never going to let go of Martin and that he was so much a part of us. And I, and somebody, you know, to come in and pick up the pieces of my heart and, and handle all of this. I just didn't think that that person existed, but, but I just, I can't imagine. I, I mean, I hope that in the future that I can be stronger and feel less weak at the same time as being strong. You know, you have, you, instead of going back and forth from feeling so vulnerable and so, you know, fragile, I am just excited for being able to just feel strong and just remember this person who was struggling and try to take what I can from that. But like I said, I hope to be, I hope to share enough that I can be that resource that I couldn't find. You know, when I was Googling and searching and trying to find somebody who was, who was sharing this kind of stuff and wasn't very fruitful. I just, I looked all over online and it just wasn't, there wasn't a new blog post that I could find. And, and I hope that I just really want to break a lot of the fear around grief and the hesitation that people have. And I just, I hope to, you know, that that's the point of this podcast to talking with you now. And I'm so glad that you've brought all this up and because I do think that it just needs to be talked about more. I think people are scared of it. I think that they're worried about, um, you know, loss about saying the wrong thing or doing the right thing. And, and they're just really, they don't want to mess up and they don't want to be uninvited. And it's hard. So I understand speaking that. of being a resource, where can everyone find you? Share all your links <laughs> so people can track you down online and celebrate you Martin's know? life and celebrate your chapter two as well. Yeah. I love that chapter two. Well, my blog is the Freckle Fox and you can just, you can find me on my blog. And then I have, I have social media too. I have, I, I'm on Instagram a lot. I really like Instagram because I feel like it's so personal, not just for me. I don't feel, I don't share very many photos these days. I try to share more thoughts 
and my pictures are, you know, kind of sparse. I, I post like once or twice a week, maybe, but I love mostly just being able to connect with my friends Mm -hmm. and the people that I've supported and loved and being able to follow you and read your quotes and all your inspiration and, and just having people like fill up my cup. I guess I, I get on and I see, you know, mothers that are snuggling their babies and people that are sharing real raw thoughts. And it just makes me feel part of a community. It makes me feel loved and inspired and so Instagram, I love Instagram, uh, the freckle Fox, just everywhere. Facebook, Instagram. I have a YouTube channel. I need to work on that. Wow. I've been really shy with video. <laughs> I'm not, amazing. not super great in person. <laughs> I'm much better in my PJs, like behind a, you know, keyboard. Ditto. Ditto. We'll work on that. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for just opening your heart and sharing your story. And I just want you to know as somebody who has followed and watched and prayed and celebrated and cried alongside of you, like you have impacted so many lives. And I know that this is just one step further in Martin's legacy that will continue to change lives. And you are admirable and you are strong and you can be weak too. And we will love you wholeheartedly. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for sharing. I felt like we could just go on forever and ever. Thanks for listening to Gold Digger. Dive into show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You gold digging dream chaser, you.